Welcome to the Real Estate Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Gary Lipsky of Break of Day Capital. I talk to leading experts to discuss a wide range of subjects to educate investors on best-in-class practices to build legacy wealth and positively impact communities. Let's jump in. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Gary Lipsky with Break of Day Capital. Be sure to join our Facebook group, Asset Management Mastery, where we have a great community of thousands of like-minded individuals sharing resources and best practices. Hey, everyone. We have launched the BODC Multifamily Impact Fund. Invest with a trusted operator with a track record of success. Our fund offers diversification, risk mitigation, tax benefits, and stringent acquisition criteria. If you'd like to learn more, head over to our website at breakofdaycapital.com. Choosing the right insurance coverage for multifamily properties isn't that complicated, if you know who to talk to. At the Garzella Group, we're uniquely qualified to help you navigate the range of policy choices you have, and we're committed to saving you 30% in the process. We do intensive market research and have nationwide relationships, so we can find coverage other insurance brokers simply can't. We should talk. Go to quotenow.biz, and we'll start the conversation. Today on the podcast, we have Nick Stageberg. Nick is a software tech startup veteran who founded Black Swan Real Estate and now has over 300 million assets under management. Thanks for joining us, Nick. Can you start by telling the listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you do? Yeah, that was a great little introduction there, Gary. Appreciate it. We've got a uh, deep vertical integration piece to our company. So we have a you know, property management company. We have a full-time maintenance, grounds people, lawn and snow, facilities, everything. We have about 47 full-time employees. So we have a, a private equity fund. And as you said, we have about 300 million assets under management. But we also have kind of all the nuts and bolts stuff below that. And then I'm a you know, a married father of four. My wife's my full partner in the business. So, you know, I've got my background in tech. She's got her background in, in medicine. She, you know, trained as a physician at the Mayo Clinic. And we love to just kind of apply all those things to our business uh, in, in real estate investment. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you do a lot of things different than me. And that's why I, I love about real estate. You can make money in every market, whether it's in an upturn, a downturn, you know, different philosophies, which I love. And I love talking to other other people. One thing you do differently is your infinite return. So why don't you explain to investors what that is and, and what's your kind of thesis behind it? Yeah. So we've been doing this for about 12 years. We've never sold a property to date. We always do a cash out refi as kind of our liquidity event versus a sale. Love the notion that if you really love a property and take amazing care of it, it's ultimately going to be worth more to you than it will be to the marketplace. So we do deep value add renovations. We'll go in and you know put in new three centimeter quartz counters, and we won't just you know refinish existing countertops. We'll put in all new you know tubs and surrounds and stuff. We won't just re-enamel an old tub or old tile surround. So we do really deep value add that to a great extent is kind of worth more to us than it is to the marketplace because you know 10 years from now, we won't have to go re-renovate that unit because the old renovation have worn off. I think that you know Warren Buffett says that you should never buy any asset where you'd be upset or sad if the, the market shut down for 10 years. So just thinking with that long-term hold in mind, it really kind of primes you to make good decisions. Because I don't know about you, but all the worst decisions I've ever made tend to be short-sighted decisions. So if you're like, oh man, this is such a good deal, 
maybe I can flip this thing and sell it in a few years. Man, that's the buy that's going to kind of eat your lunch. And you know, maybe you don't lose money on it, but you lose your mind. Whereas the asset where it's like, gosh, it's in rough shape, it's kind of expensive, but it's in such a good location. I just this thing is going to do amazing in the long term. Like that's the asset you want to buy. So our model is very different from a, a typical model. It kind of revolves around that indefinite hold period. We you know buy the asset, we you know raise capital to buy that asset. 100% of the profits go to our investors until they get a full return of capital. We have no fees whatsoever, and then we do a 50-50 split after that. So if you kind of you know punch all that into a calculator versus sort of the traditional real estate syndication scheme, I would say that your typical investor is going to come out ahead you know, five or 10% in sort of a worst case for that limited partner. But it's a huge win for me as well, because I'm able to to raise capital very effectively. I'd say it's kind of a a no brainer opportunity for our investors. We've got, you know, 20 million on the wait list for our next fund here. And I think anytime you work your hearts out to serve other people, like that's so much more motivating than, than serving yourself. And then once you align incentives, like if you set it up so that if the people that you serve win, you win. Well, you win. And it's just so much more motivating to get out of bed in the morning and say, what can I do to, to put my investors first? That's not a platitude. That's not something we say that's reflected in you know how we buy assets, how we renovate assets, and ultimately how we structure our private equity fund. I love it how you are structured to, to align with investors' goals. There are certainly a lot of operators out there that are you know, have super high fees. They get their money and on the front. They're not investing in their own deals. So that's a huge win for your investors to have that alignment. I love how you said, you know, you know, a typical owner, not a typical, but a lot of owners will just, you know, do the, you know, hey, if something's broken, you know, just stick, stick a stick a band-aid over Perfect. it. But you're you're yeah. investing in your properties for the future. And and yeah, like you said, making sure that you know they're gonna stand up for the longer, you're gonna go the extra mile, which is really cool. Another thing that sets us apart is that 5% of all of our profits go to charity. We built a school last year, found an abandoned uh, 40,000 square foot office building and did an adaptive reuse, got teachers and parents together, ripping up carpet and rolling paint and running a carpet shampooer for what little carpet was left. And, and we've got hundreds of kids going to that school nowadays. It's kind of the coolest thing I feel like I've ever done in my life. And then 5% of our profits go to our staff in a profit share as well. So again, just ways that we can give back. One of my mentors, Tony Robbins, you know, he, he teaches that you will work 10 times harder to serve other people than you will to serve yourself. So if you can just find something you're really passionate about serving it, you're going to find a way to serve more people in a bigger way and become a bigger person. And I, I found that to be completely true. Very cool. Very cool. Where's that school that you found? It's it? the Rochester Arts and Sciences Academy here in Rochester, Minnesota. It's kind of our headquarters. So it's couple miles from here. That's where my my kiddos go to school every morning. I'll tell you, it's hard to have a bad day when the first thing you do is you know drop your kids off at the school that, that you helped build. It was a really cool opportunity. There's a million other people who get all the credit for that. I I guess I was just the crazy guy that wanted to build a school and it, it all just kind of came to be. That's very cool. Yeah. Every day you drop your kids off, you get to see something that you created. So vertical integration, when did you decide you wanted to be uh, vertically integrated? I don't know if there was ever a specific point in time, but we, I think, had a similar experience to most property owners, which is that it can be really challenging to find good property management where you feel like you get the outcomes that you should get. And again, just like how we structure our private equity fund different, I think that that really comes back to the way most property management agreements are structured. The way a typical property management agreement is structured, it is literally impossible for the property management company to lose money. Even if the asset's losing money, the property management company cannot lose money. And there's not a sufficient alignment of incentives. So as, as the owner, you really care about like the net operating income of the building and the property management company 
They really care about maximizing their profit as a property management company, which usually comes about as a small fee of the gross income of the property. Well, if you work really hard and create massive value and have incredible customer service and you drive an extra $25 or $50 per unit per month, that can create incredible shifts in your NOI, but it has a trivial impact on the ultimate you know, fee, uh, you know, profit that that property management company collects. So there's zero incentive or almost zero incentive for them to really push rents and then all expenses pass through. So you know, you have zero incentive to lower your uh, cell phone bill or reduce your administrative costs for postage or whatever the, you know, whatever those little expenses are that add up to quite a bit of money. It's not an arrangement that made any sense to me from from the get-go. So when we started getting a big enough portfolio that it was really kind of a burden to manage because we we started out, you know, buying and self-managing properties. We looked at, you know, handing those properties over to a third-party property manager and it, it just wasn't good. And we said, okay, if we try to do this ourselves, we'll kind of collapse under our own weight before we can really scale the company because you really need, you know, hundreds of units before you can get that economy of scale to have management and maintenance and everything. So what we said was we're going to start a third-party property management company that kind of solves the problems that we're experiencing to race to that, you know, break-even point in terms of economies of scale. And that's exactly what we did. So we represented a ton of other investors, helped them purchase properties, manage those properties to collect a fee income to, you know, be able to make payroll and everything. These days we don't really do new third-party clients because we we've gotten that economy of scale mostly just manage our own stuff. Our legacy clients, we still keep them. They're beautiful relationships, but really all along, we just wanted to manage our own stuff. And there's been no limit to the benefits that we've discovered. And it's always really difficult at first, like way harder than I expected it to be. Great example of that is we brought lawn service in-house this year. So we went out and bought, you know, a quarter million dollars of tractors and trailers and trucks and all, you know, everything you need to run a proper, you know, lawn services company because we're going to spend you know, many hundreds of thousands of dollars on, you know, lawn and landscaping this year across our assets. And then it's been a really dry summer in Minnesota in our area, which is very unusual for our area. So our assets, we've only had to mow the lawn a handful of times, way less than we normally would have to. So if I rewind the clock and look back, you know, year to date, year over year, we have reduced our lawn care cost 90% year over year by bringing that in-house. I find you typically cut costs about 50% with any of these things that you bring in-house. But then in a addition to that, there's this alignment of incentive because if the grass doesn't need to be mowed because there hasn't been any rain, I'm not sending my guys out to go mow the lawn. But if I have a vendor, they're sending their guys out to mow the lawn that doesn't need to be mowed because they've got to make payroll. I have other things my guys can do. They can go renovate a unit or solve some maintenance tickets. They don't need to go out and uselessly mow the lawn. So you end up with you're not just cutting your costs in half. You're often reducing your costs even more than that, but it's even more than that because I tell my guys when you're out there on the riding mower, like you are doing a 360 degree inspection of the property. And while you're at it, if you could cut the grass, that would be great. So it's a totally different mindset than like a third party lawn provider. So everyone has a smartphone and there's a chat channel where they can report uh, concerns that they see. So they took a cell phone, they saw a little dog hole, a hole where a dog had dug a hole in a backyard and said, Hey, I think we've got an issue here. You know, that within seconds escalated the property management team. They said, yep, we had a recent move in in that unit. And it looks like they have a puppy or something that they didn't disclose. Very common property management issue. We need to do a 24 hour inspection on that unit. Lo and behold, there's a dog in that unit. There's damage that's happening inside the unit because of course there is, if there's damage happening outside the unit and we're 
able to resolve that situation before it, you know, results in a $10,000 plus, you know, property turnover expense. So that's the real savings of vertical integration. Anytime you bring things in house, you don't just save costs. You don't just improve quality, you get control and communication. So that's how we're able to do, you know, I would say things that are, are simply not possible when you aren't vertically integrated. And it's, it's tough. It's, it would be easier to manage a staff of four than a staff of 40, but you get you're just superpowers that you have when you have that vertical integration piece. Absolutely. Going back to uh, infinite returns, I know there is a time when you do eventually sell. What determines that time? Yeah. So I guess it's my guess that at some point Blackstone or someone else will come along and, and make us an offer we can't refuse. I keep going on podcasts and saying, you know, we've got a third of a billion assets under management or, you know, whatever the number is that day. And eventually someone will probably, probably make that offer. We're never, you know, soliciting for an offer, you know, brokers call every day saying, Hey, would you like to sell? And nope, that's just not what we're interested in. But, you know, at some point we probably will receive an offer. We can't refuse. We'd be negligent to accept that offer. I have no idea when that will be, you know, maybe it's next year, maybe it's, you know, 40 years from now. I sometimes wonder if we sold, like, what would I do then? I'd, probably just want to go buy more real estate. So unless we really wanted to relocate to another market or we saw a big shift coming that is, you know, not on our radar right now. I mean, we're just not, unless we got kind of a crazy number for our whole portfolio, I just don't see us being in a hurry to sell. That calculus could change. You know, we're all humans and our life changes. Uh, Maybe, you know, I pass away or something and my wife says, you know, I don't want to go on without my husband or something. And, you know, we've had arrangements in place. We have a, a trust with a board of directors in place to handle all those sorts of things. But Every time we get frustrated with an asset, we say, gosh, well, maybe we should just sell it. And then we kind of run the numbers on it. And we're like, gosh, it would got to pay the capital gains. You got to recapture the depreciation. And we've already kind of gone through the hard part, renovating it and, you know, getting our tenants in place and everything. And yeah, the boiler broke down and now there's this, you know, $10,000 bill, but, you know, we're kind of past the hard part. Let's go ahead and keep it. And I'd say once every six months or so, we go through that math on one of our assets and it just, the math never makes sense to sell an asset. So you're in uh, Rochester, you do a lot of investments and also in Tacoma, I believe, correct? That's right. Yeah. It's kind of our second market there. Nice. So what do you foresee in those markets in the next 16, 18 months? Yeah. So Rochester is kind of a a secret market and it's very insular. It's very difficult to like break into the market. If you're not a local, people don't even answer the phone. If you have an out of town area code, just kind of the culture of the place, the way the regulatory climate works, the way the, you know, the government works is... They don't like, you know, out-of-state landlords, so to speak. You actually have to reside in one of the, you know, county or one of the six surrounding counties in order to be a property manager here. So it's a very, you know, kind of insular market in that way. But when you're here, it can be a very lucrative market. It's the home of the Mayo Clinic. It's the home of the Destination Medical Center Initiative, so which is the largest public-private per capita, you know, public infrastructure spend in the entire country. It's like Dubai here. Technically, the MSA is only 250,000 people. But, you know, a few weeks ago, Mayo just announced a $4 billion expansion community to their campus here in Rochester. They have got campuses everywhere, but this is the mothership. This is like their main campus. So we own, you know, probably six apartment buildings that are within a one block radius of where that $4 billion campus is coming in. And we didn't pay $4 billion for our buildings. You know, we paid, you know, $10 million or whatever. So anytime you have a $4 billion neighbor going in next door to your $10 million apartment building, I, I think you're going to be in good shape. And that's just, it's it's a really neat market. You know, there's, you know, foreign royalty and the president stops by from time to time. It's a small town that has kind of the 
cap rates and just advantages of a smaller community that kind of punches above its weight and acts like a a larger community, high growth community. I was born here. I moved away and then happened to meet a woman who happened to become a doctor who happened to match to the Mayo Clinic for her residency. And like the one thing in the universe that would have brought me back did. So that's, you know, kind of the story of how we ended up here. And then Tacoma, Washington, I think is another real gem, you know, it's not well known, but there's the largest transition story, I think, happening in the entire United States. It's happening in Tacoma right now. Most of our assets there cluster around a place called Point Ruston. That's a fun Google. It it was the largest copper smelting facility in the world for half a century. And then when all of our industrial jobs went overseas, it turned into an EPA Superfund cleanup site, literally like a, like a toxic waste site. And so when you think Tacoma, you think kind of industrial and gritty. That's kind of a dated perception because today Point Ruston, it's all cleaned up and it's now a multi-billion dollar master plan community. It has an ocean going vessel as one of its amenities, you know, hundred acres, one mile ocean front. So if you have to imagine going from like toxic waste sites to the nicest piece of real estate I've seen in my entire life. And then imagine the knock-on effects that has on everything around it. So, you know, tens of thousands of workforce housing units were built in the mid-century, you know, 60s and 70s as the workforce for uh, Point Ruston. And then that all kind of went downhill when those jobs disappeared. And now that's all roaring back with information workers that are, you know, commuting to Seattle to work at Amazon and Microsoft. So, you know, one of our projects there you know, a block to the south is, you know, what seems like ought to be a knockdown. And then a block to the north is literally a brand new Trader Joe's and Whole Foods across the street from one another. And when we bought it, our in-place rents, I think we're like 800 a month. Our rents today, 18 months later, getting close to two years later, are 2000 a month. There's not a lot of places where you can double the rental rate. And, and Tacoma is one of them. Nice, nice. Well, I'm all for market expertise and not doing the shotgun approach. You know, really understanding your market, which, you know, you obviously do. And it just gives you a, a huge advantage over others that just pop in occasionally and, and try to buy or they got stuff all over the place. How often do you see your property? How how well do you know what's going on? It really gives you a big, big advantage. My wife and I got engaged on top of Mount Rainier, which is in Tacoma. So it's, it's a place that certainly has a special, uh, you know, just special place in our heart. Nice, nice. Well, I appreciate you coming on, Nick, and sharing your expertise on infinite returns and being vertically integrated. Where can listeners find out more about you and your company? Yeah, anyone here can go to meetblackswan.com. There's a link to my calendar. You're welcome to you know block 15 minutes on my calendar to chat. If there's anything I can do to provide you with value, you can you know, sign up for our mailing list. We do tons of free education events. We've got our conference coming up this fall, which is Unlike any conference you've ever been to, we uh, get on a bus and tour our, you know, kind of messy middle renovation apartment building. So you get to see like a before renovation unit and an after renovation unit. It's hosted the number one rated Hilton in North America. It's a it's a pretty cool conference. So uh, you can check all that out at meetblackswan.com. All right. Awesome. Awesome. This is Gary Lipsky signing off. I'll be back next week with another informative episode on the Real Estate Investor Podcast. To all of our listeners, thanks for joining us. And if you like this episode, please head over to iTunes or Stitcher and like, subscribe, and leave a review as it will help us reach more people. And if you'd like to learn more about what we do at Break of Day Capital, head over to our website at breakofdaycapital.com and sign up for our newsletter and fill out our investor application. We'll talk to you next week.